Chapter 7 I should have met with the others. That was the plan. But once I was back in the sky, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to have to sit down and explain it all to them. I guess, too, I didn't want to have to deal with Cassie's hopefulness and Rachel's concern and Marco's abrasive skepticism. I didn't want it all analyzed and picked apart. I knew the routine. Cassie would make me go over everything. Word by word, gesture by gesture, expression by expression. Cassie has an amazing talent for understanding other people and their motives. She would want to understand all she could about DeGroat. Marco would be different. He would barely listen before he started zeroing in on all the problems and inconsistencies. Rachel would pace restlessly, angrily, looking for some way to make me safe, looking for some action to take. Jake would wait and listen calmly, and judge. I didn't want my friends thinking for me. I didn't want them to decide what I felt. I wanted to do it alone. This was mine. My problem. My hope. My choice. I flew. Flew and flew, circling higher and higher on lush thermals that felt as if they could lift me effortlessly beyond the clouds. Below and behind, I saw a falcon I knew as Jake, and a harrier I knew as Cassie. They saw me. Jake, at least, could easily have caught up with me. But they let me go. I guess they knew I needed to think. I circled up till I could feel the ceiling of a flat-bottomed cumulus cloud right above me. Then I translated my altitude into distance and headed for the woods. Headed for a very specific place in the woods, far back, far from any trail. I had been to this place twice before. Once when the Elemist showed us all the way. Once when I went there only to hear an amazing story. But even now, even knowing precisely where it was, even with all my hawk vision focused, all my innate direction-finding ability carefully attuned, I had a hard time finding it. Call it a spell. That's what the Elemist had done. He had cast a fairy tale spell over this place making it almost impossible for any mere mortal to find. The eye slid away. The feathers did not feel a breeze that blew from it. The ears heard no sound that came from it. It was the valley of the hork The free hork Jara Hami and Ket Halpak had been the couple who had escaped their Yurk slave masters. How much the elements had intervened? Well, he would say he never intervenes in the fairs of other species. But Jara and Ket had evaded their yurks and avoided recapture with the help from us. And they had come to this concealed valley. Since then, others had come. Some were escapees. Others had been born into freedom. That's where I flew. To the valley of the hork The last time I'd come, 
they'd been surprised. This time was different. This time, as I flew through the narrow opening of the valley, I saw two dozen Horkbishers standing, looking up at the sky, waiting. When they saw me, they began to point and wave. I thought I recognized Jara and Ket. Standing at their center was the young Horkbishir girl named Toby, named after me. She was Jara and Ket's child, and she was what the Horkbishir called a seer. The Horkbishir are not the geniuses of the galaxy. They may look like death and destruction on two legs, but the blades that adorn their seven-foot-tall bodies are designed for stripping edible bark from leaves. That is not what their slave master Yurks used them for. The Hork-Bajir have been made into the shock troops of the Yurk Empire. In any case, whether fearsome or sweet, the Hork-Bajir are not an intellectual species, except for the very rare genetic anomalies they call seers. Looking down at the gaggle of waiting Hork-Bajir, I easily spotted Toby. I'd have spotted her even without knowing her. The rest of the group had the dopey, dim expression of Teletubbies. Toby had the kind of eyes that looked through you, and made you feel like you needed to pull a robe over your brain. Tobias! Jarahami yelled happily. Friend, Tobias! Friend! Hi, Jarah. Hi, Cat. Hello, Toby. Toby, say you come, Cat said, nodding with great satisfaction. Toby, say, Tobias will come. Yes, Jara agreed. Toby, say, friend Tobias will come. You are here, Cat said. Like I said, the Hork-Bajir are long on decent and kind and sweet and generous and a bit short on witty, clever, and brilliant. If Marco spent a day with the Hork-Bajir, he'd lose his mind and run screaming away looking for someone, anyone, who'd get a joke. I landed on a nice level branch just a foot above their weird forward-raked headblades. Why did you expect me? We need you, Tobias, Toby said. I sighed inwardly. I didn't want to be needed. I wanted some peace and quiet and a chance to think. But that feeling evaporated the instant Toby explained. One of the children, a male named Beck, is missing. He has left the valley. We fear that he may be taken by humans or by human controllers that he may be harmed, killed, or worse, made into a controller. Chapter 8 Once, before when I was feeling low, I went to the hork Valley. They'd made me feel better. After all, the hork think I'm their liberator. They think I'm George Washington or whatever. It's hard not to feel good under those circumstances. But, obviously, this visit was going to be different. You searched the entire valley? I demanded. Yes, search, Jara said. Look and look and look. Cry, Beck, Beck, another Horkbyshire added helpfully. Beck, Beck, Ket confirmed. Beck is not in the valley, Toby said. I... We found tracks leading out of the valley. The right size for a hork of his age. I said several words I can't repeat. Jarohami asked what they meant. Never mind, I said, 
I couldn't believe this. A Hork-Bajir child missing, wandering the woods alone. Or worse, not alone. How long has he been gone? Since this time yesterday, the young seer said. Oh, man. I have to get back to the others. We'll start a search, but I don't think our chances are very good. Suddenly, a thought occurred to me. Do you think Beck could lead people back here? Would he be able to find his way back? The Elemis has laid some kind of weird spell on this place. Toby looked wary. No, Beck would not know the way back. But we are able to find our way back. That made me stare. What do you mean? You leave the valley? Yes, Tobias. How else can we free our brothers and sisters? She waved an encompassing arm around the group. How else have these hork come to freedom? I... I guess I just assumed the Elemist made it happen. Toby grinned the frightening hork grin. We make it happen. We go at night and raid places where we know hork are. The Yurkpool? I asked incredulously. Toby looked down. Tobias! We owe you a great deal. Freedom, Ket Halpat said solemnly. Hork-Bajir free. Tobias make free. But, I said a little sarcastically. But, but the place where we liberate Hork-Bajir is a secret Yurk facility that is being built. Not in your city, in the human town beyond the far end of this valley. Tobias... It is very important for us to continue freeing our brothers and sisters. We are few. We must become many. To fight the Yurks. Also, she let it hang there. Unbelievable, I said. You seers really are a different breed, aren't you? I said harshly. You're looking for the day when the Yurks leave, aren't you? You need enough numbers so that humans don't just slap you all in a zoo. Toby looked proud. The hork trusted Andalites to save us from the Yurks. The Andalites failed. The Andalites took care of their own. We must do the same. We are grateful to the humans called Animorphs. But do you say we should trust all humans? Well, she had me there. It was way too easy to see a day when the Yurks were defeated and these hork were left behind on Earth. What would happen to them? Humans didn't exactly have an unblemished record of tolerance for different races. After all, before this valley had belonged to the hork it had probably been inhabited by Native Americans. You're worried that if I know about the secret Yurk construction project, my friends and I will attack it? Yes. Do you think Beck may have gone there? We don't know. He may have followed the secret trails left by our raiders. She sounded doubtful. It is possible, but he did not leave from that end of the valley. Ah, swell. Perfect. You know, I came up here looking for a break from life. The seer smiled. If you promise not to destroy the place, I will show you how to find it. I sighed. I have to talk to Jake and the others. Jake's going to want to go after this facility. Toby started to say something, but I interrupted her. 
You have my word we won't do anything unless you approve. I'll deal with Jake. In the meantime, we'll start searching elsewhere. But be ready in case I come back. Because if I come back, it will mean I need you. It was Jara who stepped forward then. Toby may have been the brains, but Jara and Ket were the heart of this tiny community. Jara put his big, dangerous claw out, palm up, and I hopped into it. He lifted me up to his goblin face and said, Tobias, ask the Hork-Bajir. Hork-Bajir, give. Always. Forever. Anything. Even life. Jara Ami, never forget. Toby nodded her agreement. Well, what are you going to do? People like that, you pretty much have to try and save. Chapter 9 Morning. The meadow. My meadow. I saw the other hawk. He was flying, inscribing low circles over the meadow. His eyes were aimed downward, looking for breakfast. But he saw me. I knew he saw me, because if our roles were reversed, I would see him. He was wondering why... No, that was wrong. He wasn't wondering. He was a true red-tailed hawk. Hawks don't wonder. The question why is owned entirely by humans. At least, on Earth it is. Only Homo sapiens ask why. Beautio Jamaicensis. Red-tailed hawks. Don't ask at all. He saw me. He knew I was a threat. He watched. He waited. He expected my attack. When my attack came, he would fight. If my attack did not come, he would come after me. It would be a show fight. Bluff and threaten and see who ran first. But it could also end up being a very real fight. I saw him drop down swiftly on some target. A few seconds later, he flapped his way back up into view. His talons were empty. He'd missed. Not enough prey in the meadow. Not enough for both of us. One of us had to go, or both of us would starve. I sat on my perch and saw the twitch of grass that told me a rabbit was coming out of its hole. We all have to eat. Rabbits, too. My opponent was too far away and at the wrong angle to see what I saw. I opened my wings and swooped out of the shadows. This time, I would take one of the rabbits. This time, my talons would close on squirming, living flesh. This time, the rabbit would die so I could live. I saw them! Yes! The mother and one of the babies. Just my size. The perfect prey. Slow moving. Unaware. Unlike the wily mother. I was approaching them on a perfect glide path. I was in the mother rabbit's blind spot. I opened my talons wide and moved them forward. I trimmed my wings and tail just so. Just perfectly to intercept the little rabbit on its next heedless hop. Now, now, now! Drop and strike! Ah! The vision seized my mind again. I was the rabbit, not the hawk. I saw the talons. Too late. I tried to hop away, but the panic froze me in place. I shook with terror. I could see death coming from the sky, but I could not move. No! I screamed and broke off, 
No! I flopped up and away, and the awful vision faded. The baby rabbit hopped to its mother's side. What is happening to me? I yelled to an empty sky. What is happening to me? Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. I actually have no announcements this week. None at all. So, you know what? I'm not even going to do the usual after show notes. I don't feel like it. Just have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you next week for some more Hawk stuff with Tobias. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.